on. Can we just get started? Okay. There you are. I started it. All right. <clears throat> Our mission to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation podcast. Make it so. Welcome back to the Next Next Generation podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 19, Coming of Age. little misleading. I agree. I think it is a little misleading of a title. I kind of thought, no, there's no way this is when Wesley gets into Starfleet Academy. It's way too soon. I thought that too. But then I couldn't quite remember, so I was like, wow, all right. They want to get rid of Wesley. We do too, but... (laughs) (laughs) He's gotten a little better. No, he's gotten a lot better, actually. I wanted to say, though, one thing. Okay. This episode is truly split between the stuff with the ship and the investigation and Wesley's testing, and there's a lot of quick cuts and short scenes. It makes it feel really action-packed and full, which I appreciated, but I just wanted to say we'll probably skip around a lot. There were two plots, really strong A and B, like you said, right. and it was the intercutting between them that really propelled the action forward, and it had a great deal of momentum, and it sort of built on itself. The A and B plots were actually balanced in this episode. Yeah. Normally, we get a very strong A and a much lesser B, and this time it was equal between the two. They truly packed it in, though, in this episode. I agree. Both of the plots could have held up to an entire episode on their own, I think. It opens up with Wesley and his friend, Jake. Ah, uh, Jake. Uh, Jake is a bit of a... He's an emotional person mm-hmm. in a traumatic time of puberty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he feels trapped. And you can even tell that from his performance in the opening scene. As soon as I saw Jake, this kid we'd never seen before, I was thinking, aha, this character will be important later. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they always do, opening scene, someone mm-hmm. new. Well, they gave him a name. Last time we saw Wesley hanging out with that kid on the holodeck before everyone got sick. Oh, that's right. That kid was there multiple times in the show, but didn't get a name because he didn't have his own story. They're orbiting Relva 7. That's where Wesley's going to be tested. He's already had the preliminary testing just to take this test. That's what Jake failed. And Jake's sad and crying. Poor Jake. Yeah, poor Jake, whatever. He's also older than Wesley. Wesley's coming up into this a little soon and kind of knocking people off spots when they've been waiting longer. Not even 16 and making grown men cry. Yeah, because they're more more 17, 18, 19. It is a little different at that age. It's sort of like the end of high school and the beginning of college. They're like pre-freshmen. Right, where he's really a high schooler still. Completely. Yeah. So it's a two-purpose orbit. They're dropping off Wesley and picking up da 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 an admiral. No, <laughs> no, I hate admirals. You They're hate, the worst. You hate admirals. Yeah, <laughs> they're nothing but trouble. They are nothing but trouble. They're, oh, oh, I oh. <laughs> and this admiral brings with him a little minion. Oh, man, he is a minion. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Dexter Rimmick. He's slimy. <laughs> he just takes his job really seriously. We find out at the end that he actually is just truly trying to do his job and do what the Admiral has asked him to do. But he doesn't think it's part of his job to seem impartial. He's being antagonistic to aid in his efforts. 
uh, technique to throw people off their game, being mm-hmm. super aggressive and unjust and makes them defensive. And maybe they'll say more and give away more than they would otherwise. And so he really terrorizes the poor crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, I think it's kind of like what lawyers will do, right? Yes. It's not personal. It's just to throw you off your game so you'll say more. So the Admiral shows up with this guy. I almost fainted in horror. Another Admiral already. Wow. Ugh. I didn't even want to watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, you were like, can we just skip this uh, one? I'm like, no, we have a podcast. We owe it to the good people listening that we need to do all the episodes. Luckily, it ended up being a good episode. The Admiral insists on talking to Picard alone. Boo. No Riker, even. And then tells him, you know, your ship is under investigation. Something's wrong here, and we are going to find out what it is, and you do everything Rimmick says. All the power to do his nefarious investigating and really puts Picard in a very difficult, delicate position, having to stand up for his crew, but then also be compliant and obey his superior officer of the Admiral, Mm -hmm. who, by the way, is supposed to be a good friend of his. Yeah, he calls on that friendship, and it doesn't help. Not at all. The Admiral is very much pulling rank. We really have no idea why they're investigating the ship, and neither does Picard. Again, we don't know more than the characters, and the plot is great. So Wesley's test. I was having flashback to my SATs. How about you? (laughs) Long, Uh, grueling, timed, can't quite get all your math problems in by the buzzer, at least for me. Part of the challenge in this testing is you really don't know what is going to be on the test. Not just the psych test, I don't think. Yeah. It's just such a wide range of things that they want you to be good at and want to evaluate you in. He said he studied, and I'm sure there is studying you can do, but at some point you just know what you know. It's difficult to study to that test. Very challenging. There's only four of them. Four who passed the pretest to even get to this test. Yeah, and then from this RELVA 7 testing center, they're only going to send one person to Starfleet Academy. To me, that seems incredibly exclusive. Very. But, you know, they are drawing on the talent of the entire galaxies. True. So I guess it makes sense, but it's so competitive. And even at the end, they were saying, come back next year. We don't want to lose you and that kind of thing. You can only put your life on hold so many years for such an exclusive position. And with the Federation always having war looming Mm -hmm. and needing more officers, more ships, more people to be in Starfleet, it's surprising to me that they're really limiting the number of people they're accepting into their reserves. It's like an army. You think they would just take people and try to work with them? Well, these are officers. Oh, okay. I don't know how many non-officers they need like we do because so much of it's automated. I think, again, it just speaks to how huge of a pool they have to draw from. Still surprising, though, and I think they should have taken more than one. It seemed like they had at least three candidates who were potentially good officers. I think they should have had a lot more people and just had those four be the characters you kind of got to know. That would have been good. Like 30. That would have been more convincing. Mm -hmm. And then those are just the people he happened to be seated near and befriended a little. That makes more sense. Uh Uh-huh. They were so limited in the scope of the characters that they Mm -hmm. really just pared it down to you only get to see the people who are important. But realistically, and to make it feel more like a fully fleshed out world, Mm -hmm. we need to see more NPCs, non-player characters. 
having an entire testing center dedicated to just testing four kids at a time. Ridiculous. Yeah, they should be putting through 30 people a month or every other month. I agree. So it cuts back to the bridge. Rimmick is there making them all really nervous. Standing very close, right behind them, peering over their shoulders, commenting on everything, writing things down, and you don't really know why he's writing things down. Mm -hmm. Is it just for show? Riker is mad. Furious. He gets really steamed up and goes to confront Picard, assuming that Picard knows what's happening and just hasn't told him. Riker likes to be in the know, Mm -hmm. having information so he can act. Very important to him for his personality. Mm -hmm. When he is left in the dark, it doesn't work for him. And he feels like it's Picard, perhaps, pushing him aside, not trusting him, maybe. He's questioning his role. And all of those sort of things are flying through his head, and he really wants to be informed on what's happening. He's really misguided in aiming his anger at Picard. He seems like he has a temper, and Picard is just the obvious target. It makes more sense to him that Picard would be withholding information than that Picard wouldn't know anything. To be fair, Picard sort of plays into that by saying, I couldn't even tell you if I knew, implying that he might know something and can't say... Riker says again, it's my job to make sure the ship runs smoothly. We've heard him say that before. He sees Picard as being the one in charge and him being like the boots on the ground, going around the ship, making sure everything's working the way it should. And he can't do that with this guy, this obnoxious guy hovering around and scaring everyone. What a jerk. Ugh, he is a jerk. Riker really feels like it's his job, his role to protect the people and look out for their well-being on the ship, which is to his credit Mm -hmm. as a leader. So he leaves Picard's room, furious, snaps at Rimmick and just leaves and kind of one-ups Rimmick. Rimmick is like, I want to talk to you right now, knowing he's fumed, trying Mm -hmm. to use that to his advantage. And Riker's not having any of it. He just tells him to shove it and walks out. Yeah, Riker knows exactly how much power people have at any given time. He is very good at knowing that. And he knows the worst Rimmick can do at that moment is just say you were ordered to comply. He can't really do anything yet on the first maybe transgression. And later Riker is willing to go along with him and does talk to him and we'll talk about that. Right, but he pushes it just enough that since he then does comply later and the very next time they see each other, Rimmick can't really do anything. Way to go, Riker. Yeah. Stick it to him. Actually, we can go to that right now. Great. So we get to finally see Riker pull the Riker maneuver. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's glaring at him and trying to stand during their conversation. And Rimmick's like, you can stand, but I'm going to talk for as long as I talk. And Riker says, fine, and just pulls the Riker maneuver, sits down, leans really close, and just glares at him. It's amazing. Really intimidating. Very. Rimmick is trying to be intimidating, like we talked about. He's no match for Riker. Riker is much more intimidating. When Riker's like 60, he's going to be a really intimidating captain. Oh, yeah. Or Admiral. Oh, my God. Admiral Riker. Whoa. Now, that's something you really don't want on your ship. He'll get into everything. (laughs) He will. Tell you everywhere you're wrong. I just see him getting less charming and more gruff as he gets older. I do, too, actually. (laughs) He'll be really scary. (laughs) So then we cut through Rimmick interviewing different people. Really cool, because they bring up a lot of the things that have happened so far this season. That was cool. I love some continuity. He talks to Jordy about what happened with Kuczynski. He talks with Troy about whether Picard is emotionally and psychologically fit, referencing 
his incident with the Ferengi and the Stargazer. Mm-hmm. And that was it for now. <laughs> There's more to come of the cuts. But anyway, it was so cool that they brought that stuff up. So Wesley has had some testing that day. He's met the three other finalists, like we talked about. Oleana, a human girl. Mordok, a Benzite. And a Vulcan girl I did not write down the name of. It was long and complicated, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well. I knew she wouldn't be as important as Oleana and Mordok. Mordok seems like a potential rival. Definitely. He is someone who is going to probably make a great chief engineer. Definitely the one to beat. When they all walked in, immediately I looked at the human girl and thought, mm, probably not. Vulcan, sure. But you see the Benzite and you're like, whoa, okay, he looks serious. We find out nearer to the end that he would be the first Benzite to go to Starfleet Academy. That's right. For one thing, that's a good idea for them to include him. With such a diverse federation, you want representation from the different cultures. That's important that those cultures know that Starfleet is them as well. That's true. But also, it suggests that he's worked really hard to get to Starfleet Academy. No one he knows, probably, has achieved that before. And it gives them sort of a leg up to get into the next level because they're probably thinking about it when they're reviewing who's going to get chosen from Relva 7. Well, first Benzite, that's important, probably Mm -hmm. gives him a slight edge. And when it gets very close at the end, that might be the factor that really pushed him over the edge. The human girl, yeah, you were skeptical of her right away, right? Mm -hmm. Then she does say, everything's so hard for me to learn, blah, 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 come slowly. Probably not a good candidate then. You have to be quick on your feet, quick learner to do well in Starfleet. Right. Well, in Starfleet, they're always running into danger. Got to think quick on your feet. Red alert situation happens. You got to be ready to take action and do your part. She seemed kind of slow and taking her time to answer the questions and running out of time. Not quite what you want for an officer. And it's not really a criticism. No. Starfleet's really a fast-paced environment. It's not for everyone. Even if she could learn faster, maybe that would hold her back in a critical situation. Also, it's only going to get worse in Starfleet Academy. As hard work as they think they've done up to this point to get ready for this test, there is no way that compares to the actual Academy. It's just not the right work environment for everyone. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't think it would fit me either. It's too fast-paced. I like to think about what I'm doing. Anyway, it's just not for everyone. It doesn't mean you're not smart or anything. You know, if they had had more people, they could have also had a fun scene where someone just breaks down and runs away crying because of the pressure, that kind of thing. Well, that's realistic. That's what I'm saying. But with such a small cast of characters for that testing, they couldn't really do that. Oh, you know, they could have also done, they were just the only four left by the end. That would have worked. Everyone just gave up. (laughs) Or they could have been getting through a series of tests, and then after each test, they were eliminated by their score. And so it kind of whittles their way down to the final four characters we've been learning about and meeting throughout the whole episode. That would have worked great. So after the day of testing, Wesley is back on the ship, and he's on the holodeck, unprogrammed. And Worf comes in, probably to train. Yeah, Yar does that too. We've seen that. We have. They do use the holodeck to keep fit and battle ready. Worf and Wesley have a really nice conversation. That was great to see. Yeah, Wesley's worried about his psych test, which is a test where they make you confront your fears, and you don't know what it's going to be, even though they can totally figure out what you're afraid of based on your psychological profile. Seems like with a little more research, you could probably find out what was going to be on your test. If you really thought about it and was self-aware, probably could figure it out. Or found some deep website where you could you know, analyze your own psychological profile that Starfleet has. There you go. Yeah, come on. Wesley can do it. Hack it, Wesley. But they have a really great conversation about fears 
Wesley is shocked that Worf has fears, which just points to him being really young and unready to deal with the world at large. Realistic about adults, I think. He yes. has them slightly idealized. Very much still. Especially the Klingon, mm-hmm. a species he's not that familiar with. What does Worf say? Something about only fools. Have no fear. Have no fear. Worf seems like he has the potential to be really standoffish, but in that moment he decides to open up a little bit to Wesley and really give him some experienced and perhaps fatherly advice that he needs to hear at this moment. Really to Worf's credit that he would do that. Throughout the series, we see Worf develop that further as a father figure. It is the first glimpse and the first real scene that we've had of Worf being more than just a background character. He's had some funny moments, but nothing that delves into his private thoughts and feelings. He says, like, this is this because I'm a Klingon. That's very surface level. Yeah, they've just been kind of slowly establishing what they're like. It felt both realistic and a little surprising that he would take the time to have this conversation. I think he really does care about Wesley on some level. He sees that he has no father figure. When Wesley opens up, because he talks to everybody about his feelings. Yeah, he's very frank. Very honest about Mm -hmm. that. He takes the time to really show him some wisdom, which is nice. Yeah, Worf says his deepest fear is trusting others with his life. And Wesley's like, you have to do that every day. And Worf is like, yeah. (laughs) No, he doesn't say it like that. He confronts his deepest fear every day. Deep stuff. Maybe that's why he wanted to be a Starfleet officer. Challenge himself, make him a better Klingon in the end. Klingons are really into the, you know, constantly sharpening and bettering and forging themselves, right? Yeah. What could be a bigger challenge than forcing yourself into a situation where you confront your deepest fear every single day? Trial by fire. Then, poor, wounded, emotionally compromised Jake. That Jake. Steals a shuttle. Rimmick is right there on the bridge up in everyone's business the entire time this scenario goes on. Very annoying. Potentially compromising Jake's life. And their ability to function as officers. Yeah, Picard had to tell him to sit down and shut up, pretty much. This wasn't investigative. This is happening live. You don't need to interfere with that. Harassment, really. Yeah, that's not the same thing as investigating. You can review the tapes after this incident happens, not interfere with how it goes. Surprising. You would think that as an officer, lieutenant commander, yeah, he would know better than this. And he really acts self-important throughout this. I know he's trying to rile them up, but goodness sakes. He's a zealot. Yeah. Which is kind of disturbing in Starfleet. We don't want zealots. No. But like I mentioned, it's not just that he takes his job seriously. He doesn't even stay objective. He lets himself get beyond that, which isn't appropriate for what he's doing. Not at all. He should just be collecting data, looking for patterns, and reporting in, and then let someone else do the judgment. That's not his job. I think he takes the Admiral 100% seriously. We find out he doesn't know what's really going on either. He's also in the dark. He's too passionate and zealous about something that he's just getting on hearsay from the Admiral. Picard saves the day single-handedly with Jake. That was so cool, too, the way the effects were. were very strong through the sequence. The way the ship came in at an angle, hit the planet, bounced off the atmosphere. Really, really great effects. I really enjoyed the suspense and the drama of the moment. It was mm-hmm. great to see Picard as the hero we all know and love. He hasn't had a ton of those moments, and so it was really nice to see him get a shining moment like this. Yeah, here's a perfect example of the kind of quick thinking you have to do as a Starfleet officer. Good point. They had a room full of officers, and Picard was the only one ready with a plan. 
Well, he was a helmsman. That's yeah. his background. Yeah. He knows how to pilot ships. Mm -hmm. You get to see him use his knowledge in action right then. You know, you're right. I think you do see that the other bridge officers, piloting is not their thing. No. You do have Jordy and Data on the helm, but flying the Enterprise is not like piloting a small craft at all. It's much more automated and large with a powerful computer. You're just barely touching the steering wheel. Where Picard, as we've seen in the Stargazer episode, is commanding much smaller vessels and flying much smaller ships. You're going to get that maneuverability. It's like fighter pilots nowadays. Right, but I'm thinking, yeah, he probably even has the smaller plane experience. Probably. He's a real pilot, and I don't think you need to be a pilot to get on the bridge. That's why he's the only one who knows what to do in the situation. Yeah, like, spoiler alert, when Wesley does go to Starfleet Academy, they show him he learns to pilot a small craft. That's one of the things he does. Not everyone does that. It's not like the Air Force. Well, no, not everyone's a pilot in the Air Force either. <laughs> the record is stricken. <laughs> no, anyway, like, it's not all about flying is what we're saying in this world. Not at all. He just happened to be a flyer. Oh, and Remick has the nerve to cheer when it is successful. I roll inducing for myself and from Catherine. So Wesley has a run-in with an aggressive alien, a Zaldon. They hate courtesy because they see it as insincere social convention, which, okay, you know, but that doesn't fully explain the hostility. <laughs> no. You can dislike courtesy without being that aggressive. Extremely aggressive. It was too on the nose. It was so extreme that I was, when I saw it, I was like, well, there's a test. It was obvious immediately. I didn't like that as a test. No, I didn't either. It's not fair. Wesley only passed because, well, perhaps that wasn't the only way to pass. Maybe not. But Wesley only passed so well because he just happened to know about this race. That's trivia. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's fair. It would have been more fair to coach them for a day on some different cultures and then throw them into a situation and see how well they apply that. Yeah. Or something. Not just he happened to already know. The triviality of the situation was what was wrong with yeah. the test. Like you said, it's not a fair test. Yeah. I also didn't believe that Wesley could summon that much aggression back. He's a very timid, quiet, mm -hmm. emotional person, mm -hmm. sensitive even, as we've seen countless times. Mm -hmm. P.S. I can relate. That's why I know. And that guy was scary. And that guy was very scary. Yeah. I personally don't know if I could even muster the amount of hostility that was required to launch back at him. Mm -hmm. I would have just walked away personally. I couldn't handle that. Now, perhaps that would have also been a way to pass. We don't know that that was the only way to pass. That's true. I just think it would have been a better test and a more realistic test to teach them, then see how well they handle themselves. Because that's the real situation. We've seen that on the Enterprise. They spend a few weeks learning about this culture they know they're going to encounter. So they're really prepared and can be super polite and know exactly what's going on. They could even teach them a ritual or a greeting and mm -hmm. then have them actually practice saying it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Very useful. The situation was not. So we finally have Rimmick interviewing Data. Ooh. It doesn't go that well for Rimmick. <laughs> no. He tells Data he must help him with these records. And Data is like, you've looked over everything. What could you possibly be expecting me to find out? And Rimmick's like, ah, you'll piece it together and have some, you know, insight. The way you can crunch data is different from how humans can. Data tells him basically, if you haven't found anything, then your premise that something's wrong with Picard or the ship has to be untrue. That's right. And that leads to our data of the day. 
When Remix says that's unacceptable, Data says, Acceptable or not, sir, it is the truth. This is the really cool cut. This is the really cool cut. They're in the observation lounge, and the camera spins around, and it's different people he's interviewing. And they always focus on him asking the question. There's a cut to him. And then as it pans back, it's a different person sitting in the hot seat, having to answer these very aggressive, militant questions he's putting to them and trying to put words in their mouth in obvious ways. Yeah, he talks to Worf about that virus that we think came from the holodeck. They don't know where it came from. I was like, wanted to have a sign, you know, hold it up. <laughs> holodeck! We need a quick gif of Riker going, have you checked out the holodeck? <laughs> <laughs> Then it spins around, and it's Beverly, and he's asking about Beverly's relationship with Picard, knowing what happened with her husband. Now, this was a revelation to us as the audience. Yes. And this was a big, what? Whoa, kind of moment. Picard made some kind of choice that ended up in Mr. Crusher's death. Apparently, it was justified, obviously. Otherwise, Beverly and Wesley would not want to be around him <laughs> at all. It appears that they've forgiven him and mm -hmm. have moved past that. And understand the choice he had to make. Difficult choice. We don't actually find out what the choice was, but it is important that they establish this right now. For what happens... With Wesley. With Wesley in the big psych test scene. First of all, one more camera spin, and it's Picard. And he confronts Picard about their violation of the Prime Directive with the Edo. And we totally nailed that. I just have to say high five, you and me right now. We were awesome. <laughs> we knew that it was a violation and we were right. I hate that it was Rimmick who said that we were right. But it was still nice to be validated. Although he's complaining about that they saved Wesley and violated the Prime Directive. If they had let Wesley die, it would have been the exact same thing. How could you let Wesley die? He was under your charge. You can't please that man, and no matter what you do, he's going to find a way to make it your fault. That conversation ends with Rimmick saying, I will find you guilty. The evidence is here. I wrote down guilty of what? It turns out nothing, and even Rimmick doesn't know what it's supposed to be. He just knows he's looking. Picard talks to the Admiral. He says he's tired of the charade and needs to end. And the Admiral's like, oh yeah, it's totally almost over. Just chill out, you know, a couple more hours and it'll be no big deal. Picard is like, you know, this was a huge strain on our friendship. And Admiral Quinn is like, I know, but it was necessary. And then we cut back to the planet and Wesley's testing. <laughs> it's a roller coaster, this one. All these aggressive interrogations, mm -hmm. Picard saving people's lives. I really like the way they cut this episode together. Really good editing. Yeah, I think this is the first episode where we can give serious props to the editing. This is the test where Mordok won't shut up about how he's having problems. I was surprised they were allowed to talk at all. Every test I've ever been in has been quiet. No one's allowed to talk in that way. Yeah, because you're being tested. It's not a group test. Also, this is supposed to be basically a military school. Really strict. What are they doing letting them talk to each other? The girl's complaining how long it's taking her to figure it out. She can't do it. Mordok is also complaining that he can't quite get it, and it's only because Wesley kind of nudges him in the right direction that Mordok is able to complete it really quickly. Yeah, Wesley turns away from his test and is like, oh, you're almost there. You can do it. Just align your vectors. It was totally incomprehensible what they were doing, by the way. Totally. Yeah, I didn't see any vectors. Wesley does that. He still manages to complete the test. 
I would have been so mad if people were talking. What you didn't see was the Vulcan girl fuming at these noisy, stupid humans and other aliens who just can't shut up. She's already planning to go back to Vulcan and just leave all these other weirdos behind. (laughs) So somehow, even though they finish three out of the four of them, very close together and with only seconds to spare, Mordok has the second fastest time ever logged. That was surprising to me. Is this really down to like milliseconds? Must be. Every time? That seems so weird. You know, there's always that one person who does it in half the time of everyone else. Where's that person? Well, that person hasn't visited Relva 7 before. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they're a bit of a podunk. Not a lot of people come through there. I could see that. Although that doesn't then do Wesley any credit that he couldn't get in. Maybe that's why they let him test there, thinking he'd have better odds. Oh, maybe they bent the rule because he wasn't actually old enough. They were more willing to do that as a smaller testing facility. Could be. Anyway, I just thought it was unlikely that that was the second fastest time ever. So then it goes back to the ship. Remick is giving his report. He didn't find anything, although technically he did. Picard violated the Prime Directive, etc. But that wasn't really a secret. He had that in his captain's log, and everyone already knew about that before this episode. And nothing had been done, so I'm guessing they were okay with it. I imagine them always in an ongoing investigation with Starfleet. They have to do so many things that are a little iffy. They've got to have people evaluating what they did all the time and making sure it was okay. They're the face of Starfleet for new civilizations. Probably been investigated already, honestly. Nothing's been done, so clearly it was okay. Well, he saved Wesley's life. What could he do? This is where we find out that Rimmick really did want to find something because he was doing his job for the Admiral. He sincerely apologizes for letting the Admiral down. He's such a zealot that he feels like he failed because he didn't find someone guilty. And he wants to serve on the Enterprise, says it's like a big family. That's not happening. That was the second moment that Catherine and I rolled our eyes. Ugh, he's the worst. Picard would never pick him. He said his term was up in six months. He should have said nothing and then sent an email, you know, when he was almost done. After he had cooled off a little and they kind of forgot how horrible he was. Yeah. Been like, oh, you know, my term's ending. I was so impressed with how you run the ship when I was there. I know I had some obligations. It was a little awkward, but seriously, I would love to serve with you. Probably would have gone over better. Still wouldn't have gotten in the job, but would have been a little bit more taking the pulse of the situation. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out this whole scenario was just Picard's psych test. He's really upset at the Admiral. But the Admiral reveals that there's a lot of bad things going on in Starfleet. And he doesn't really know what's going on. And he needs to start appointing people he can really trust to higher positions. This is like a covert insurgency sort of thing that the Admiral's trying to pull here and trying to control the future of Starfleet by having the people in his back pocket, his best friends in high positions. Well, he presents it, though, as not being serving of him, but as there's something trying to undo everything they've worked for. We have no idea if that's true or not. We don't know if this is going to become important. Perhaps they won't actually mention it specifically again, but it might give us a different lens to view future Starfleet actions, especially interferences by admirals. That's true. So we don't know what's up. Picard does not like politics either. No, he's not a man of politics at all. No. But the Admiral offers Picard an Admiral C, 
an admiralty and the directorship of the Starfleet Academy. Now, even though he's not down with the political aspect of this, Picard is visibly interested in being in charge of the Academy. Well, he values education and really pushes it throughout the episodes. He's looking ahead to the future, and the future is the Starfleet graduates they're churning out. He is intrigued. This is a good option, a good choice that the Admiral is giving him. I think maybe if he had been at the end of his five-year mission or whatever they do now, he might have considered it even more. Fortunately, it's so early on, only one year in or maybe six months in. Right. He's just not ready to let go of his captaincy of this amazing vessel. He's just now living the dream on such an amazing ship. I mean, Starfleet already values him a lot to give him command of the ship. This is his time to really peak as a captain, not move into being an admiral. It's too early for him. It's way too early, even though he doesn't refuse right away. He does the honorable thing. He thinks about it for several hours, walks around the decks, really ponders what he wants for his future, and thinks about the future very hard. It's partly out of respect for the admiral and Starfleet, and partly because it truly is a fitting position for him, and it might not come up again. Cut back to Wesley's psych test. The climactic moments are the dual psych tests, if you will. That's right. Wesley is so, he's just so guileless, you know? He just assumes everyone is telling him the truth and being upfront, even though he knows the psych test is all about messing with you and your fears. He's extremely nervous throughout the episode. He keeps talking about it. The whole scene with Worf, of course, is revolved around that. You can tell he's very visibly shaken. He's shaking while he's waiting for the test to begin. He's pacing around, trying to tell himself to calm down. He also announces, I'm here, I'm ready. That's what I mean, he's guileless. He just assumes it must be exactly what it seems to be, something to confront in this small room. That's right. Then he hears a noise outside in the hallway and goes to investigate. He finds an explosion in their environmental lab. One person's crushed partly crushed, and one person is just cowering in the corner. And he chooses to drag out the person with the crushed legs, and he's trying to encourage the other guy to escape himself, keeps telling him, you're not hurt, you're not hurt. Like, you have to help yourself out You have to help yourself. I can't help both of you. And eventually he has to leave the scared person behind. So his fear was not being able to choose between two difficult options, which is what Picard had to do, and his father ended up on the short stick of. That's right. So that was his psychological evaluation. His Mm -hmm. big test was, can he make the same decision that someone else had to make when it was with his father? He makes the choice. No problem, actually. I think he made the right choice, even. Took action, saved the person who was injured, tried to get the other person to come. And the truth is, like, with someone as emotionally crippled and fearful in that situation as that man was, if he had decided to try and grab him first or something, he may not have even been able to get him out. He may have just held on to something or whatever, and then they all would have died in there. That's true. Yeah. He made a good choice, and he Mm -hmm. moved with decision and quickly. And he's fairly strong, it turns out. Yeah, he muscled him out of there, surprisingly. Well, he had the adrenaline, I think. Yeah. It was kind of impressive that he dragged him out of there. Picard and Riker have a little scene where Picard tells him about the offer the Admiral made him. I really enjoyed how happy and genuinely excited Riker was for Picard when he heard about this. There's been some great acting throughout this episode. I have to give it really good props for the acting. It's very strong in this episode. But this scene 
Jonathan Frakes does a fantastic job. He's genuinely smiling, and that's not easy to do. He just lights up. You know, it's all about getting promoted when you're in an organization like this. Yes. This is a victory for Picard. I would call it joy. He looked joyful for him. He's like, congratulations. This is so great. Of course, you're an amazing choice. And then he finally sees Picard's face and realizes that he's seriously considering not doing it. Yes. Which, no problem. He immediately is like, oh, okay, cool. You know. <laughs> Status quo. Yeah, that's great too. Like, there's only good outcomes as far as he sees it. Yeah, it was nice to see them have that little moment. Yeah, I liked it a lot. They really bonded. They have bonded. They're really showing that their friendship is there and that they really do trust one another. Even in this episode where part of it was Riker being upset at him. (laughs) Right. Not really at him, just directing his frustration at him. They have a lot of moments where they give each other looks and communicate without talking, and you really see them getting to know each other better. They're on the same page now. That's when we find out Mordok wins. He's a Benzite. First of his kind wasn't too surprising to me. It's a good choice, and Wesley has plenty of time to keep reapplying. Really, if I was in the same situation making the decision, I would have picked Mordok too. Mordok says it's not fair because I only won that one test because Wesley helped me. Tech Officer Chang says, no, that's not the only reason you came in first. I really want to know. I thought Wesley would demand to know. <laughs> I did too. That's where he needs to improve, right? So he needs to know where his weakness is. But he didn't find out. I wondered if they gave them like a final report afterwards, like their results and everything. I thought maybe some of the stuff they thought was a test, even with that alien that we complained about. Right. Maybe wasn't actually a test. And some of the stuff they never picked up on as a test was a test. And those were part of the points. Who knows? It's very convoluted and a mystery to the people taking the test. It seemed like it changed a lot, maybe, from time to time. Each test is unique. Yeah. Yeah, I think, honestly, the entire thing was the psych test. I could see that, yeah. Yeah. You don't know when it begins or ends. That's part of the test, right? Yeah. Even him questioning, like, when's the psych test? What's that like? Is it really that bad? Maybe that knocked off some points. We don't know. It's really possible. He did it several times in front of Chang. He knows all about this. He's been reading up on it, right? Yeah. He shouldn't be asking all these questions. He should just be taking the test. Wesley asked too many questions, I think. Often at inappropriate times. That's the issue. I agree. For that, for example, Chang is like, we don't like to think of it as a psych test. That's not what we call it. So I say like five points off. Then Wesley's like, well, you would have done it for me too. Helped him on the test. And Mordog looks away for a second and is then like, oh yeah, I think I would. And I was like, no. No. (laughs) He definitely wouldn't have. He was distracting everyone else with his whining and was going to take them all down with him, I think. Could be a tactic on his part. Honestly, yeah. And we don't know anything about these Benzites. We don't. Maybe that's just how they do it. So Picard is dressed up for the Admiral's farewell dinner, which we don't see. I kind of liked that, actually. He runs into Jake in the hallway, and Jake is like, thank you so much for saving my life. I'm being disciplined now, etc. And Picard is like, that's my job, young man, and just (laughs) sends him on his way. (laughs) It's so funny because when Jake wasn't there, Picard was like, oh, you know, young man, they do stupid stuff. It's cool. Like, it's okay. We'll fix him. Don't worry about it. And then in person, he's just so gruff. Yeah, that was great to see his lack of geniality Mm. in this moment. It's just like we said with Wesley. He's like that surrogate father who really cares about you but doesn't know how to show it in person. Completely. Just takes care of you physically and stuff. Emotional, well, that's someone else's problem. Mm-hmm. 
Then Picard does take care of Wesley's emotional needs. He does. And tells him that he failed the test the first time. What a shocking secret. But not the second. Very important. And he's not allowed to tell anyone. Period. So they skip the farewell dinner. And then everything's back to normal. Wesley's on the bridge. Picard and Wesley have this nice little moment. And then they take it away. When I first watched this episode, I knew it was a good episode. Talking about it now, I think it's a great episode. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten me more excited about the episode, the more I've thought about it and reflected on all the cool things that happened. The editing was great in this episode. It really propelled the plot forward. The balance between the A and B plots was fantastic. The acting overall was very strong. We had a date of the day, very important. Trying to figure out what I'm going to give it as far as a grade. We had one. It was great. It was kind of cool to see more about the testing and how Starfleet operates and how they get in to become officers. I liked seeing that side of things, the realistic, real world. We can relate to it, like I mentioned with the SAT testing. I liked the investigation. As annoying as Remick is, he was a convincing character, a realistic character, and there are zealots, bureaucratic people out there who act just like he does. Overall, this was a very strong episode. A little uncomfortable at times but really strong. I'm going to give this episode a 9 out of 10 psych tests. I think this is the most action-packed episode we've gotten so far. I really liked that. Great editing, like you said. Cutting back and forth so much was really fun. I was super worried when an admiral showed up, but he kind of disappeared for most of the episode, which is where I like my admirals. Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) (laughs) Rimmick was annoying, but it did lead to some cool scenes, cool cuts. Ultimately, he was tolerable because I didn't feel like they were totally helpless at his hands like they were with Admiral Jameson a few episodes ago. They totally lost control of things in that episode. Rimmick, at first, it was seeming like he might take over, but they kind of put him back in his place. And, of course, he didn't win the day, so that's good. The testing stuff, some of it was a little awkward with the young actors, but it wasn't too bad, and like you said, it was interesting to see. I actually liked Tech Officer Chang. I didn't really mention him a lot. He kept kind of popping up and acting like he was being inspirational, but really just making it more and more terrifying. (laughs) I enjoyed that. It was good. (laughs) Oh, one more thing is they did some good character development for Worf. I have a hunch that the next episode has more Worf in it. Spoiler alert. Just a few little moments that I didn't like, but overall it was great. So I would also give this a 9 out of 10. Oddly Absent Vectors. This has been Season 1, Episode 19, Coming of Age. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. So I say like five points off, you know. Five points to Gryffindor. That's what I was thinking. Five points to Slytherin. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Wesley's a total Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. He's just the smartest Hufflepuff ever. (laughs) He's a puff from way back. <laughs> He's a poof. Uh, yeah, okay. Riker's a Gryffindor. <laughs> We're doing this now? Uh, Picard is probably a Slytherin. Yeah. But with strong Ravenclaw tendencies. Yes. Uh, let's see. Beverly, a, Slyth- or a, a Ravenclaw. Yes. Uh, Worf, a Gryffindor. Yeah. Let's see. Who else? Troy, a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Yeah, okay. Pretty easy, actually. Hmm. Did we miss somebody? Jordy. Oh, Jordy, probably Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. Could be a Gryffindor with strong Ravenclaw leanings. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Data Ravenclaw. Well, he's like the purest Ravenclaw. Yeah, but he wants to be a Hufflepuff. He's trying, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We can make this our outro. Okay. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I am an android. 
I am a Hufflepuff. Follow us on Twitter, add us at the next next gen. We don't do any paid promotion of this podcast, and your word of mouth helps us to grow our show. Please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us out. Thanks to everyone who listens regularly, and we'll be back soon with another episode.